Dort and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort and I'm down to Dort. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these. I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most of them. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, is my good friend, Michele Bear. Michele, what's up? Well, uh, it's great to be back on Down to Dunk on Monday. <laughs> uh, it's uh, something that I wait for the entire week, so it's good. Oh, it's a good man. way to start the week. It's a great way to start the week. I would agree with that. Uh, another thing that's great is our draft party that we're having on june 23rd it will be at fastler hall you can be there from 6 p.m to 10 p.m i believe the draft starts at seven you may get there earlier than six if you want to have a good seat there are tons of big screen tvs there's a projector there they're gonna have fully staffed bar and food they're gonna be prepared for the the tidal wave that is the down to dunk crew so be there or be square. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be one of the more fun nights as a Thunder fan. And you will remember these nights forever. Like I remember draft nights from years past. And a lot of them, I was just sitting on my couch. And it wasn't that much fun. And I basically would like text with a friend about it. <laughs> like That was my night. Uh, here, if you live in Oklahoma City or in a surrounding area... You can come to OKC, hang out with just a ton of just insane Thunder fans, everybody that understands and has an opinion and is excited about the draft. See what Sam Presti does. If he makes a crazy trade, we'll be there. If he just takes four guys in the draft, we'll be there. Uh, Obviously, they're going to take somebody that we don't even know their name right now at some point in the draft, and it'll be fun to figure out who that is with a big group of Thunder fans. So be there, Fassler Hall. June 23rd from 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, we would love to see you there. Um, McKellie, the Utah Jazz don't have a head coach anymore. Uh, and Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> who has been unhappy for a while, is now seeing his little opportunity here to wiggle his way out, where Woj is already reporting that he's uneasy about what's going on there in Utah. Now, it doesn't mean that he's actually going to be traded, but it sure does feel like it. It feels like something is something is percolating. This team blowing up. And and how does that you know, how does that relate to the Thunder? Well, the Thunder have a top 10 protected pick from the Jazz in 2024, which just became a little bit more juicy. Uh, so if it's I don't remember about the protection yeah, I'm going to tell you. I'm going okay. to tell you exactly what it is. So in 2024, it is top 10 protected. In 2025, it's top 10 protected as well. And then in 2026, it's top eight protected. Um, so they're probably going to get this pick. The Jazz have not like 
bottomed out in a while. And maybe they do bottom out. But this could end up being a pretty valuable pick. If they keep one of Donovan or Rudy and they try to rebuild and maybe things don't go as planned or don't go as swimmingly as they did last time when they lost Gordon Hayward, but then also got Donovan Mitchell right in place and everything was fine. I mean, it's going to take some pretty lucky circumstances for them to be fine, in which case, like, the Thunder could find themselves having another pick in the teens in 2024 when they're trying to be good. And, you know, looking at this draft, if you're a good team and you are gifted a pick in the teens as well as your own pick, like, that's pretty valuable, either in trade or as somebody or as a team trying to pick a player. I mean, it's incredibly valuable. It is. Um Question, like just, I just want to hear your opinion. Mm-hmm. RJ Barrett, number eleven for Donovan Mitchell. Is it too low of an offer? <sighs> no, it's not. I Mitchell's a better player, certainly. Um, I kind of like that, honestly. If you're Utah and he's just like, I'm done, like I'm out of here. I don't yeah. love the pairing because he's not a floor spacer. Like he's not a three point shooter. No, he you you need a uh, you need the opposite of Gobert <laughs> to have a good pairing with RJ Barrett. Um, but it's you have there's a lot worse options that would be on the table. I would guess than that. I just want to like I I don't know. I mean to me. There's not much that um, New York can offer that is not that. Yeah. And I, my guess yeah. is that they would not want to include RJ in a trade, but then, like, what do you got? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that they can with unprotected picks because, yeah. I mean, if it's it's New York, if you offer three unprotected picks in the future, which I don't know even if they can, um, it's probably interesting because i mean it's new york it's a dumpster fire so maybe <laughs> you guarantee in the future two picks that that, are, that can be good but yeah. say that barrett and and mitchell find find some groove um they can be playing slash maybe sometimes in the playoffs mm-hmm. kind of team for a couple of years so it's they are too young uh mitchell and barrett to say hey let give me picks unprotected mm-hmm. picks mm-hmm. it's yeah. It's it's not not great. When it is an old team, then maybe you do that. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think that there is any other avenue, uh, really, for for the Knicks to even discuss a trade like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So the Jazz are going to be a team to watch certainly over this off season. They could be the team that ends up, um, you know, bottoming out. So. Yeah. Uh, so there was a uh, our guy Jeremy Wu from SI.com put out a new mock draft today, and he has Jabari Smith going number one. No surprise. I would mm-hmm. say that that's what the expectation is as of today. Now, subject to change, subject to change for the Magic or perhaps a trade that happens between the Magic and the Thunder, the Magic and the Rockets, mm-hmm. or whoever. Um, that can happen. So, but we are operating as if Jabari Smith goes number one. Number two to the Oklahoma City Thunder, he has Paolo Bancaro from Duke. 
going to Oklahoma City. Now, his logic is, is quite interesting, and it's something that I think Thunder fans need to think about. Hmm. Um, one, we don't know what the Thunder want to do. <laughs> anybody, anybody that thinks they know, um, then you're just wrong. <laughs> you're just flat out wrong. Or maybe you guessed right. I don't know. I would still guess that Chet would be the guy. If this is the situation, I would guess Chet is the guy. However, if you look at what Paolo is, he's 6'10", 250, ultra-physical, can get his own bucket, the best passer in the draft, probably. Yeah, and one of them. You know, the multi-skilled player who can be, if the Thunder are looking at this draft and saying, listen, we want to draft a guy that could be the best player on our team, scoring-wise. Like, we want to go to score. You know, the answer is Paolo Bancaro. Like, that's that's your answer. Now, to me, I still remain pretty skeptical that that's the direction that they would go. But... It's something that I think you have to at least keep your eye out for, you know. I I don't know if I necessarily agree with the fact that if you need your score, that mm-hmm. Paolo is the best. Jabari Smith may average more points than well, you don't get Paolo to get, for. But you don't get to have Jabari Smith though. Yeah, you're right. Between Chet and Paolo, yes, of course. He projects as the best scorer of the two. Um, But I have the feeling that both Jabari and Chet, I know that Jabari is gone, I know, I know, um, can be incredibly efficient in OKC. Incredibly. Mm -hmm. Like, I can picture in my mind Shea going pick and pop 10 times in a row and Chet hitting six threes. Just mm-hmm. just like that. Yeah. Because he with Paolo it's different. I think that the um, motion offense where everyone can create, everyone moves around, and you have three elite creators, and then you just have to find two good role players that can just be good at moving around mm-hmm. and being in the right spot. That is a different uh, offense. Then I think it's still there if you draft Chat, but it's more clear with Paolo because Paolo, Giddy, and Shea will have such a great gravity off the dribble that you will create more offense. And more yeah. you, you have the potential to create a more fuel, fluid offer uh, offense. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. We said it from the beginning. Every of the top three has a chance to be special in OKC. Yeah. But for some reason in my mind, there is the beauty and the fact that the offense with chat would be extremely simple. Yeah. Um, there is a very simple way to maximize chat, which is, hey, pick and pop. Um, maybe play in the dunker spot. Maybe yeah. seal. And that's it. You don't have to be, He's efficient. And, and I really think that getting efficient players is what OKC needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't disagree. I've been a Chet guy. I remain on Chet Island and won't leave it. I think there's also room for a bigger role because Gonzaga made it very simple. Yeah. And they made it simple because they had a lot of really good pieces in place. Yeah. And they could make it simple for him. Now, 
what does Chet do once he's given more responsibility? What does he do whenever Mark says, hey, I want you to initiate offense? Or I want you to to do these things. And what what happens when Chet has to only focus on basketball only over the next three years? Like, what does he become as an offensive player? I think that there's a lot more to explore within his offensive game than what meets the eye. And the efficiency is insane. I mean, he shot 80% at the rim. Yeah. 80 yeah, that's WCC. Uh, but even in WCC, Thomas, who is an insanely good post-up player, um, had 72%. I yeah. charted myself, so I know. Yeah, uh, you, did. you did. His number was 72%. And Thomas um, was thick and more muscular and could move yeah. guys out of the way with his yeah. body easily. And the thing with Chet is like everybody's like, oh, he's just too skinny. If he was that skinny and that weak, he's shooting 60% in the WCC. You know what I mean? If he's the guy that everybody thinks he is, but he's got such incredible touch that I just have a hard time believing that he can't do more with the ball. Yeah. And there is something that James Anderson just mentioned in the chat, uh, which is uh, about the jump shooting. Um, yeah. I'm making it a little bit too simple in saying that, yeah, just just take Chad and give him like um, pick and pops and it will be great. I mean, I've seen clips of Chad just nailing fadeaway one leg jumpers like he has the potential to be hey uh, give me the ball just yeah. take it from here yeah. um of course uh we are forced to mention guys like dirk uh the elbow jumper from tim, tim duncan like yeah. yes um those are the shots that were in our memories when we were young so we we always go to that even if it's not that my point is there is enough up, upside uh as a pick and roll player as a isolation player with his jumper there is enough upside there that if you put together the the efficiency and the defense to me there's just no other answer than hey try chat because if chat works it's insane and if he doesn't he will be a good floor spacing big that can protect the rim, yeah, which is something that you yeah. still can use at a very high level. Um, he'll be three-point shooting Rudy Gobert if things don't go that well. Yeah, that is the second tier uh, of outcome for Chet. Yeah, it really is. The third is. tier like is a guy that down, can't stay is, on the court because yeah. he's too skinny. There is that tier yeah. where he is too fragile to stay on the court. There is that tier. Yeah, I But the, the, like the median outcome, if yeah. he can't stay on the court, is, hey, he will protect the ring like crazy and hit trees. Great. I want that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He will anchor your defense and be a floor spacer on offense. Yeah. 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 He's, I, I would just be pretty surprised if he wasn't just a really good player. Uh, he also has the Thunder taking AJ Griffin at 12, which would make Yay! all Kelly's dreams come true. So the players that go yeah. before him, the rest of his mock draft is Chet at three to the Rockets, which I would, I might vomit if that happens. Um, Keegan Murray at four to the Kings. Jaden Ivey at five to the Pistons. I mean, the Pistons are dancing if that happens. Johnny Davis at six, which I'm a big Johnny Davis guy. Um, that is interesting. Uh, Dyson Daniels at seven, 
Shane Sharp at eight to the Pelicans. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, Jeremy Sohan goes to the Spurs today. Uh, Ten is Ben Matherin to the Wizards. Mark Williams at 11 to the Knicks. And then there's A.J. Griffin there (laughs) at 12. I I really don't. Like, I I can get by anything besides number 11. Like, why? <sighs> I don't you know. You said it with Fred. It makes absolutely no sense. It's it's really difficult to find to find a way to understand why they would do that. It's really really yeah. difficult for me to logically bounce to um to that conclusion. I think it'd be super dumb. Um, maybe they just think he's the tallest guy in the draft. Let's do it. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I really just don't know. I think it's. I think it would be foolish. Do not think hey, that's the right way to go. Maybe this will happen because of two things. Uh-huh. One, the New York trade happened, and so this is Utah's yeah. pick. And B, because Gobert is going somewhere else, and Utah wants the new rim protector. Yeah. Great. There you go. That is something that I. I, I think. Okay. Well. Nice. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. To me, it is. It is very interesting to think about what will happen on draft night. I would be surprised if there wasn't a trade in the lottery in some way, mm-hmm. and which could shake everything up. Um, but getting AJ at twelve, I think you got to be pretty excited. One. Praise the Lord from all blessings flow that the Thunder drafted a shooter, you know? Yeah. And number two, they have to buy that the medicals are okay to take him at 12. Medicals that we'll probably never see. <laughs> it may, he may, if he, if they don't. He's not going to be drafted. He won't be drafted at 12. Yeah. He will he will be the OG and an OB of this draft. Yeah. He will fall that is something points. that really scares me he will because it's actually a possibility. It is. It is a possibility that yeah. he's there at 12 and the Thunder don't take him. And yeah. I would I would guess um that it's medically related if he falls. Yeah, yeah which which is not technically medically related. It's more a information. Agent. Yeah. Please. I don't want to go there. Yeah. And if that is the case, well, I think that, that if that was the case with OG, I mean, you don't do it anyway. I really think that there is value in like wanting to get into some place. Especially Oklahoma City. Especially yeah. Oklahoma City. Especially with a lottery pick. You don't want to bring a guy that's like, hey guys, I'm here. Didn't want to be, but I'm here. And now we have to like convince you to like the situation yeah. like you want somebody that's amenable that's going to work that's going to be part of a group that's going to you know yeah. come in and want to work i mean that's what the thunder i would the thunder very much value drafting people and players and you got to check this is why if you if you listen to our thunder after dark can be a draft series we always talk about the boxes like do they check the boxes do they check yeah and if they don't check the boxes for the thunder and like we're we're very limited in what we can see as far as like team oriented unselfish team oriented unselfish is not just on the court it's off the court like what's your willingness to participate in a group yeah. what's your willingness to to lead or to take a back seat when needed or to do what the coach says or to 
do what Shay like does by example or Giddy or those guys. Like, what's your willingness? Because if you're not, I guarantee you, you're not playing for the Thunder and you're not going to be picked at 12. Yeah, there is. I think that there is a talent level for which there's, it's not true. I mean, I don't think that. I think it's top you, five only, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree with that. I just wanted to, man, to to put it out there because if if nobody uh, top three wants to play in OKC, Presti will draft who who wants. Uh, no matter um, one of if those, he, if yes. they yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he wouldn't trade back. He's like, yeah. you know, we didn't like the people. We didn't like the people in the top three, so we traded back. Like, no, no, this, no. This is no. where things are exceptional. Now, when you get to twelve, yeah. it's like, nope. You you've got to check. You got to check the box of you're a great person and a great player because I do yeah. be, I do believe that both of those things exist in this draft at twelve. Yeah. Whether that's Johnny Davis, uh, Sohan is that is that guy. Dyson Daniels is that guy. I think Matherin is that guy. I, I, I haven't heard anything bad about AJ Griffin either. Uh, no, me neither. But I think that he he could be that guy. You know, Branham is that guy. Abaji's that guy. Like those, there's a lot of those guys that are gonna be available there, that check all the boxes. And it's it's honestly become pretty interesting to watch, and like view the draft. Guys that have bad character issues just don't go high in the draft anymore. Like it no. just doesn't really happen. Like when was the last time that there are like giant character questions? was somebody who went in the top 10. You know, I mean, I look at last year's draft, there's just there's not one. Um character questions like LaMelo had some character questions, but he's answered all of those. Maybe he answered those in the draft process. Um yeah. Cam Reddish maybe he went 10th in 2019. Maybe he's one of the character issues there. 2018 I don't I don't see any 2017 maybe Josh Jackson was a character issue that went four so maybe like the last time that somebody went high was was him I can't stop thinking about him running away from the police yeah uh, there was that story yep it was so funny <laughs> it's well not funny but it's yeah it was unbelievable story um yeah like that was one Marquise Chris was a character issue at eight in 2016, um, Moutier had some questions, I believe, and sort of Willie Collie Stein in 2015. Um, yeah, but the list is not long. Yeah, and, and also all the guys I've named who had character issues just weren't good either. Yeah. When was the last time someone had a character issue and was really good in the NBA? Like that's maybe that was picked in the top ten. That might that might be an even more interesting question that I don't know the answer to. Um, but to me, it's just kind of fascinating that, like you, to make it in the NBA, you not only have to be one of the best players to ever exist on this planet, but you've got to be somebody that has good character. I mean. Yeah, uh, and I DeMarcus think Marcus Cousins to, is one here. Yeah, but um, we need to separate what is um, bad character for being a bad professional. I mean, sure. to me, there is um, these two ingredients. Uh, they may not go hand in hand, 
um, when they when they do, like when you are not a good character with with a bad ethic as a professional, you are almost guaranteed to fail uh, to some degree. Yeah. Clearly, if you if your talent starts incredibly high, mm-hmm. then maybe you don't fall as much. Um, but OJ Mayo is well premier example. OJ Mayo is a great incredible ta- yeah. talent, but maybe not much else. Um, so I think that. Um, behave like a professional in a professional environment is a requirement that the league has right now which is weird to say because everyone who who has a job knows that um this is basically the basic level but but even in our daily uh, job i mean we see guys that handle themselves in different ways so it's something that you just i think it, it has to be part of your life if you want to be an excellent uh worker and yeah. the NBA is no different. It's, I would say, it's harder there. Um, you you don't get to get nights off. If mm-hmm. you have a night off, it's on every Twitter feed, on every media. Like it's mm-hmm. it's extremely tough. So you need to be much much better than the average worker in terms of work ethic and yeah. professionalism. And the OA and draft like is that, an so. interesting test case for all of that, where you have Derrick Rose at the top. And then it's Beasley and Mayo that go 2-3. Oh. And it's just because of the outrageous talent they have. Yeah. And then you go to 4-5, and it's Westbrook and Kevin Love, who became great NBA players. One of them a champion because they played with LeBron, the other one an MVP. And you look at just the talent. If you look at like the, um, the 2K slider talent... Um, oh, Bees, Bees is still incredible. It's, like, it's insane. The shot it's making insane. of Beasley is yes. unparalleled. Yes. One of He's the... KD like in terms of shot making. Yes. That is. I, yes. It, it's exactly what we were saying in 2008. In the 2007 draft, Kevin Durant went and it was like, you know what? There's somebody coming. Up. Michael Beasley's coming and he's just as good as Kevin Durant. And he, yeah. I mean, everybody thought he was going to be the number one pick, and then the questions coming came out about his character. And even the Miami freaking Heat couldn't use Heat culture to change him. Yeah, is it that? I mean, it tells you a lot about how you should take into account like the kind of people and the quality of people. Like Russell Westbrook, for all of the crap that Russell Westbrook gave everybody in the media. He worked, and he, he. I mean, you can say he's got character issues, but not when it comes to being a teammate, not when it comes to playing basketball, not when it comes yeah. to being part of an organization that's trying to become great. You know, he, he, and to to a certain degree, I think that the the way in which his career is going is a little bit related to that. Even like, even doubt. if he doesn't have uh, flaws in. Teammates and stuff like that. I think that guys that can that are able to carry themselves in a different way for the entire the entirety of their career mm-hmm. have better results. I mean, yeah. yes, Russ is declining, but I think that part of the reason why he's not declining in the proper way is also related to how he carries himself, which is completely fine. I mean, he's an MVP, he's a all of famer, he's an unbelievable player. Mm-hmm. But even in that case, like you, you can clearly see the difference between a guy like him and a guy like Iggy. Uh, the kind of role that it took 
in the later part of his career, which mm-hmm. is something that guys like Russ are just not wired to do. Yep. Is, is this character issues? Uh, maybe not issues, but it's a character thing. It's a, it's a flaw that has not hurt him until recently. And it, and it made him the player that he is. Yeah. You know, um, the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Uh, Thunderfan1 asks, do you think Jeremy Sohan is a better defensive prospect than Mark Williams? I'm not sure. I'd be happy with Mark Williams. This is in the chat. Mark Williams is a great defender. Yeah, he is. Sohan is a defender that allows you to do more things. Yeah. It's about versatility. It's not about, in a vacuum, who's better. It's about what can the rest of the team do and how can the rest of the team function around them? And Mark Williams may end up having like a higher 2K rating when we talk about the 2K sliders. Like he may have the better sliders than Sohan does today. I would say he does. However, it he is limiting because he is a center only. And yeah. I am going to be team no center. Do not draft a center. Don't do it. Not in the top 12. Don't do that. You can get those guys later. Unless you think Mark Williams is going to be a Joel Embiid, then don't do it. Um, we should have done a redraft of 2018. I don't, I'm not sure if we have time. But on this note... Um, I want to say something yeah. about that draft without spoiling too much if you want to keep it for another time. Okay. Um, in my top 12, the only center that didn't drop is Rob Williams. Hmm. He's the only one that actually rose uh, from his spot yeah. quite substantially. Yeah. But because, because he was picked <laughs> where? 27th. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, I think he's a top 12 player in that draft right now. Probably so. so. But the only reason is because he's shown that he can be versatile enough to be switchy and to be like playoff ready, basically, Uh, which is extremely hard for a center. Um, Even guys like Wendell Carter, which are way more talented than him offensively and in general, not there. Um, so every single center in that rich 2018 draft was taken too high. Mm-hmm. And Rob Williams had, I think he was, he had some issues uh, because in the draft process, he went from lottery bounded to 27. Mm-hmm. For reasons that are still not clear, he had issues. I mean, he missed the plane on his first practice, so um, there were some issues. Um, but clearly, not on court. Um, so, I really think that this shows us something that the value of center early in the draft is extremely dangerous. Uh, it's yeah. extremely volatile. It is. You need to be sure that he is able to play in the playoffs and and or able to be. Good, good enough on offense, which is why guys like uh, JJJ or Aiton are still top 12 players, yeah. but not one and four, yep. at least not on my board. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think that uh, these agree with what you were saying. Like, 
don't draft a center. Yeah. Especially a center that you have questions already that he's going to be able to be switchy enough to play playoff defense. Because Mark Williams can be a great regular season guy. Mm -hmm. You drop him. Um, he is very good. He understands defense. He is a blocking machine. He has some switching potential, but you have to be amazing. You have to be Horford and or Rob Williams in order to be able to play. And even even they are struggling. Mm -hmm. yeah. It takes like two, three moments in a game where you miss a single rotation and you give Steph too much light and you are dead. Mm -hmm. That is what happened last night. Like, it's not that Boston didn't play good defense. They played amazing defense for 28 minutes. And then their centers just had a few moments where there was just a misunderstanding. There was just a misstep and you are dead in yep. this league. Yep. So it's crazy. Uh, okay. We're going to take a quick break. After that quick break, McKelly and I will be gone and replaced with the, a past me and Adam Spinella of the Box and One, where we talk about all kinds of things. We go really in-depth on Chet, and he's Adam's great. So we'll be right back after this quick break with Adam Spinella on the other side. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free when it was time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'd like to welcome Adam Spinella on the podcast. He is on Box and One on Twitter and also on YouTube. Fantastic. I know a lot of people are on uh, draft YouTube stuff right now. And if you haven't checked out what Adam's doing, you are missing out. Adam, thanks for, so much for joining. Uh, always happy to be here. It's a, a fun time of year. I know we're only a few weeks away from the draft. And for Thunder fans, that's a point of excitement because you get to figure out who the next ten pole of the franchise is going to be. So let's start there. It feels right now, and these feelings can be fleeting at times. Like We really don't know that the Thunder are going to pick Chet Holmgren number two, or if he'll even be there. We don't know. We know nothing right now. But let's just assume that they do. I, I feel like he's a really misunderstood prospect in a lot of ways, and it just starts with just getting your eyes on him, right? Where people just don't understand what he's going to be able to do 
uh, at the NBA level because he just looks so skinny. But you put out on your YouTube, you you put out a video about how misunderstood he is and kind of detailing like what he actually is. Can you dive into that a little bit and, and tell our listeners like what what kind of prospect you think Chet is and like why do people get him wrong so much? Sure. So I, I think first and foremost with Chet Holmgren, guys who are his size and length rarely have the amount of offensive skill and he becomes a more difficult evaluation because he's not a traditional big man. Um, We'll leave the offense aside for a second and dive into the defense because I think that's what really makes Chet special. He tests off the charts in pretty much any type of analytical setting that you'd look into on the defensive side of the ball. Fantastic shot blocker, uh, really good at pressuring on the perimeter and playing away from, from the basket. And the, the toughest part sometimes with draft eval is we have these kind of cylinders that we try to put prospects in, yeah. which is based a lot on positional context and what we've seen work in the past, which means somebody who, as I like to say, colors outside of the lines and goes beyond just the typical positional reference points is really hard to anticipate just how many different ways they impact the game. Um, But if you're a bigger guy and somebody's going to build a defense around you, you have to either be elite at protecting the rim in drop coverage and and whatever from the weak side you're needed to to do to protect it, or be switchable on the perimeter, be able to stay with guards. Chet is one of the few guys who's both. And I think that, that right now that's what gets overlooked a lot through the process is how many doors that is going to open for the Thunder or for whatever team is fortunate enough to draft Chet Holmgren to really tailor make their schematics on both ends of the floor, just around a unique prospect who fits into so much Uh, efficient on the offensive end, but more than anything dominant in multiple types of pick and roll coverages and schemes that, that really whatever's going to be best for the thunder with Chet in it, he's going to be able to thrive in. So uh, how many positions do you think he can guard or like, what kind of wings could he guard? at the NBA level, I guess is maybe a better question. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the smaller down the lineup you go, the more guys are going to have a little bit of a speed advantage. Um, I think what Chet does really well is use his length to his advantage. He doesn't overextend himself on the perimeter against those guys. And really, if you're a bigger guy switched onto a guard, your primary objective is to force a jump shot and not just allow you to be blown by so that somebody gets past you to the rim for a a layup or a a dump off. Um, Chet is really smart at using his length. I think he's best three through five. Uh, Maybe some of the more physical guys would think that they have an advantage to put their shoulder into his chest, but with his, his length and just how massive his, his reach is, you know, even with a skinnier chest that guys can kind of shoulder around, when his arms collapse a little bit, it's still so hard to score over the top of that. And I think the the strength aspect about, well, he's only 190 pounds. He doesn't have the strongest body right now. Like His core is strong. He's competitive. But he, the length makes it so hard to shoot over the top of him, regardless of if guys are able to put their shoulder into his chest. How much concern do you have about his body? Uh, I think for me, it's more about durability than it is about impact. And, and that's, you know, 
injuries are hard to predict and, and you never really want to. Uh, I don't like attaching an injury prone label to anybody, but more than anything, it's collective wear and tear on guys. Um, you know, he does lift weights. Like I'm sure he's on a, a strong, uh, strength and conditioning program for what his body and his frame can handle right now. But it, I don't think that it's going to hamper a style of play necessarily. Like, you know, is he going to be able to get in there and stop Joel Embiid on the block one-on-one? No, but nobody does that. So uh, I don't think that it's, I think it's a little bit overrated in terms of a concern for hampering him from doing anything in the NBA. And then offensively, what, what do you think he will look like specifically with the thunder? Because they're going to have, they've got playmakers already. And a a lot of times people say, well, he's not going to be able to create that much. I don't, I don't know how much they would ask him to initially anyways, and maybe he can grow into that. But, you know, initially if Chet is their selection, what, are the Thunder fans going to see from him on the offensive end? Yeah, so two things really stand out to me, and and that creates a really strong floor for his offensive production at the next level. One, he shot 80% at the rim on non-post-up attempts this year, (laughs) 80%. So, like, what an absurd number. At the very least, he's going to be able to finish, whether it's standing in the dunker spot, playing out of the pick and roll, or – any type of usage, 80% is 80%. As a, a massively talented finisher, great touch with both hands, um, loves the spin move to be able to create space. And he's so long that as soon as he gets into his gather to go into a spin, like nobody can catch up to him. So uh, an elite finisher and a guy who was for a portion of the year at or above 40% from three, dipped down just to about 38 by the end of the, the entire season and cycle. But you're getting a guy at the very minimum who can catch and finish at an elite level near the basket and does have really good shooting potential. He was excellent in the corners, and that's not an area that Gonzaga used a ton in their offense, but is much more translatable to the NBA. So baseline-wise, Chet has a, a really high floor for offensive impact. The questions really come about, is he going to have the quickness with his first step, the ability to have multiple moves in his bag to get past guys one-on-one and be a primary creator. I I don't know if I see that, but I also think that because he's so good in those other offensive areas, he is a high field prospect, kind of a draft lingo for he makes good passes, but uh, he's just, he's going to find ways to be productive. And, and the one thing I'll kind of leave us with here on Chet in the offensive end, Gonzaga had a very, Uh, well-defined offensive role for all of their players. They run like a ball screen or dribble handoff motion that has one big up on the perimeter setting screens and the other ducking in in the post or standing two feet away from the the block waiting for a catch and finish. His game is so much more creative and unorthodox than that that I think the the production in the half court is really going to take its next step in the NBA where – offensive coaches are a little bit more creative, give guys more freedom, and he doesn't have to be placed in this very exact catch and finish, pick and pop, throw some high-low passes, engage in a ball screen or a handoff every now and then type of role. So evaluating the prospects at the top of the draft often focuses heavily on the potential for prospects to be primary scorers. Mm -hmm. So for a team like Oklahoma City that doesn't necessarily need to prioritize finding a primary score, how dramatically would you change the top of your draft board or even like the mid-lottery 
just for guys like that? And are some of the guys that you would have significantly higher if you knew that you didn't have to worry about them creating for themselves? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I tend to believe that the guys that you bet on are anybody that you believe can be a 20 point per game scorer in the NBA. Like I'm probably more so than a lot of other people in the draft Twitter space, so to speak, uh, pretty high on just going for scorers because at the end of the day, that's you win by scoring more points than your opponent. Um, I I also look a lot at space negation and, and space creation as being valuable. Chet Holmgren's unbelievable at negating space. Like I think he's by far the most elite in this class, whether it's in switches, one-on-one situations, just protecting the basket. He takes away space wherever it exists. Mm. Um, in terms of valuing different guys based on the state of the franchise or the drafting team for more of an offensive or a defensive role, you know, I think that we're approaching the point in the NBA where it's not necessarily a a cut and paste league in terms of what wins basketball games, but you need to have certain things in order to get to the next level. You need to have those primary scorers and guys can go out and just score tough buckets in the postseason. You need bigger wings to go out there, defend them, maybe guard multiple positions, the ability to switch in late game situations or have a small ball type of lineup when you need it. And uh, again, it, it's really going to depend on how you have your roster constructed at the first part of building your pillars, finding your star players to figuring out what type of role players are going to be best to to target. So if we're talking the 12th overall pick for Oklahoma city Mm -hmm. and they grab Chet Holmgren, they might not need to go after, you know, that versatile four slash maybe small ball five defender because ideally Chet Holmgren fills part of that role. Yeah. Who are guys in that range that you think would fit next to Chet? If we're just talking about a pairing, um, who, who in that range? I mean, I think like Jeremy Sohan and Johnny Davis, and I don't like pairing him with like a Mark Williams, but there have been people who suggest it. Uh, Are there any of those guys, even like Usman Jang, are there any of those guys that you think would be a good pairing? So, I think adding more shooting is always going to be valuable. Um, And let's be real, the Thunder need shooting in general. So this is kind of a tougher spot in that 12, 13, 14 range where a lot of the guys that are available are either in that potential to be an offensive creator with the ball in their hands or really good defender, but not necessarily a great offensive piece. I, I think Sohan is that second category, a really good defender. I do buy the jump shot long-term, but it's not there yet. Um, But a really good switchable kind of one through four, maybe even one through five type of option. I think that he and Chet would create an unbelievably solid front court in in terms of a closing lineup in defensive moments. Uh, You know, you mentioned Usman Jang there, similar type of impact defender, a little bit more raw, a little bit farther away, more of a perimeter guy. I think that if you play, you know, Giddy, Gilgis, Alexander, and Jang one through three, mm-hmm. that is an elite amount of length that is going to help you on your front line protect the basket, right? We talk about rim protection a lot in terms of guys from the weak side coming over and blocking shots. Right. Rim protection is as much about not letting drivers get there as it is about deterring shots once they arrive. And 
if you can have that much length on your front line for Oklahoma City, I think it would be a, a positive. Uh, I'll, I'll throw one more name out there that's kind of a, a dark horse for a lot of this area right now, and that's Max Christie out of Michigan State. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, late riser in some aspects right now. I think 12 might seem a little high just mm-hmm. based on the other talent that's on the board, but really like his combination of movement shooting, catch-and-shoot impact, and I think he's a solid on-ball defender. So uh, in order to to get three-point spacing, a lot of times you sacrifice some defensive impact. Yeah. If you're, it, you know, Christie doesn't do that, and I think that there's a lot of value in a guy who – can play both, you know, the, the defensive end and, and space the floor. So is there anybody that you would say is worth giving up additional assets with pick 12 to go get where you're just like, Hey, this guy would fit like a glove with the thunder. If they did acquire Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith or anybody at the top, like who, are there any of those guys who are like, Hey, the thunder really should look at, you know, dropping a first or two in order to move to eight or seven. Sure. Um, you know, the the only one I'd throw out there, and this is less about a fit with Chet and more about just the type of swing that Oklahoma City is positioned to be able to take right now. That's Shaden Sharp um, from Kentucky. I think that he is clearly a top four or five talent in this class. Okay. The question is there's a lot of work that needs to be done to harness him into an NBA player. Yeah. Who wants to have the patience, the time, to go through that and what general managers or drafters have the long leash from ownership in order to make that happen. I think that Presti certainly does. And because they have all these future assets, they can move up and, and really say, you know what, if we strike out with this one guy, we still have so many future bites at the apple that we're going to be okay long-term. But the, the upside of Sharp as a scoring wing, a position that I think is is of need in Oklahoma City, a guy who can really just athletically separate himself into the clear top caliber of NBA guys from day one. Uh, that, those are the type of swings as an organization you can and can't afford to take. So uh, I am a, a big fan of Shaden Sharp, and, uh, and I do think that you know, if Oklahoma City is positioning to trade up, he would be the highest reward on any of those deals. How much have you seen of him? Because that's kind of the the thing is like I've seen some, uh, but I I just don't know how you can like how do you sell yourself on him if you're a front office or like a general manager? Like how do you sell yourself on him? So I will give the Oklahoma City Thunder credit probably more so than any other organization. They're the best in terms of forward scouting. Mm-hmm. which means looking at future young players in the pipeline who are not draft eligible this year and saying, all right, what would we get in the 2023 draft or the 2024 draft if we're projected in this sort of range for, for a draft selection? And then how does that stack up in value next to what we can get right now? I think that Shaden Sharp was clearly one of the best players on the AAU circuit a year ago. And even though it's a surprise that he's in this draft class, even though he didn't play at all at Kentucky, to be able to use that forward scouting mindset and say, what's more valuable right now, getting Shaden Sharp at eight this year or getting a top three guy next year at third overall? Well, if we can steal Sharp at eight this year, it's essentially just an extra year of development that we would add. 
I, I think that if the Thunder feel confident in the scouting they've done before, and again, they're one of the best in the in the entire league at being forward thinking in that regard, then Sharp would be the guy. I, I've watched probably five or six games of his. Um, he's got a lot to clean up with the ball in his hands in terms of his first step, how much pressure he puts on the rim consistently. Like for an athletic guy, he tends to take a lot of jumpers. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, Whenever you watch AAU film, I always say, don't just take a grain of salt, take a shot of salt. Because <laughs> like it's it's the wild, wild west in terms of play style. And, and the pros are good at really being able to identify which skills are translatable to the NBA. Um, freak athlete, again, a ton to clean up, but that doesn't deter me because guys who are 17, 18 years old playing at that level, you're looking for those raw skills, a little bit of feel that they have and believe that they're going to gain the rest just through teaching and development. Yeah. So Tari Eason was wildly productive in college, shot it well from the line and from the three-point range. He's got great size for a modern wing, and yet it doesn't feel like he's being seriously considered until like the late lottery at earliest. Uh, what are the major concerns for Eason, and what should should those overshadow like what you see on paper from him? Yeah, so what I see on paper and what I see on film are two different things. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm probably the right guy to ask this question to because I'm not a huge Tari Eason guy. Uh, yeah. I actually have him kind of in the later 20s, almost into the second round. So uh, a lot of concerns for me because if on the offensive end you have one main issue, you can overcome it. If you have two, it can be a little bit of a concern. Uh, Eason has incredibly low feel. He doesn't create for others. Like As wildly statistically successful as he was on a per-minute basis for LSU, he also had historical low levels of creation for others on that volume. That scares me a little bit. He's also incredibly right-hand dominant, like driving to his right every time, and the way that Will Wade, the head coach at LSU, set up their entire playbook was to get him going to his right hand every single time he caught it. Um, again, we could bank on the feel improving, or we could bank on him getting more comfortable with his left hand, but both happening in order to turn him into a, an offensive option that we would trust with the ball in his hands. Not quite there for me. Definitely an impactful defender because he's allowed to be instinctual on that end of the floor, but not cerebral enough on offense for me. I worry about the mechanics of his jumper and how uh, wild the swings were this year in his shooting efficiency. Like the first part of the year, he was sub 30% from three, and then he was close to 45 or 50% over the final 10 or 12 game stretch of the year that kind of normalized those numbers. So not quite ready to buy in on a lot of that stuff. I understand the upside because he's so productive and he can defend multiple positions as a big athlete. Uh, But I think the feel and just some of the stuff that needs to be cleaned up to turn him into any type of guy you'd play through on offense is a little concerning. Yeah, that that mirrors exactly what I thought too. Like I just I've had a hard time like getting on board. There's a lot of Thunder fans that really like Tar Eason, um, but the Thunder very much value feel, and they've shown that the last couple drafts, and I think they will continue to show that. Uh, talk me into or out of Johnny Davis right now because I. I like him. I if he was the pick at twelve, I th- I think that I'd be pretty excited. But and maybe that's just the Taco Bell commercial. I don't know. Um, so, 
whatever side you're on with Johnny Davis, like talk me into or out of him. Yeah, I am in on Johnny Davis. Okay. Um, so I guess this will be the Liv Moss segment here. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think when you look at guys in college and how they play and how they produce, one part of the conversation that is frustratingly inconsistent to me is how we evaluate defensive effort for those high volume guys. Hmm. I am a big fan of saying you can't necessarily punish freshmen who are elite scorers at the college level who don't give a ton of effort on defense because they're being asked to do so much at such a young age. And we've seen time and time again, Jason Tatum, Anthony Edwards, I think Paolo Bancaro in the future, guys who just are asked to carry that offensive load. They do turn into decent defenders at the next level because they have the natural tools and finally are conditioned to harness that on a nightly basis. Johnny Davis was the rare college guy who carried that offensive heavy load and still gave maximum effort on the defensive end. What I think his best skill is going to be in the NBA is being a versatile kind of one through three defender. Somebody that is elite at avoiding contact on screens, is super competitive, contests shots from behind. I'd feel comfortable with him guarding opposing ball handlers and, and chasing them around the pick and roll. I'd feel really comfortable with him chasing shooting specialists like a, a Duncan Robinson, for example, mm -hmm. around screens all day because I think that he's so slippery at avoiding contact. To be able to combine that with a guy who was 39% on his catch-and-shoot looks in the half court but was low volume because he was asked to do freaking everything in that Wisconsin offense, yeah. the role really translates well to, okay, he's not going to average 20 a game, but at the very least he can be – a three and D type of backcourt guy while having the proven commodity of he can go out there and score in the mid range whenever he needs to. So I'm, I'm in on Davis, not necessarily in the top 10, but as we get out of that range and we're just looking for high value role players and guys you can depend on, I think Davis fits the the late lottery to a T. Yeah. He's to me, it's there's this sweet spot in almost every single draft where we get, we're kind of done with all of the, crazy like shoot for the stars kind of guys and then it's you get to like 11 12 13 and then like almost every single draft somebody pops there because something is overlooked or something is like overly criticized or whatever it is and those guys pop i mean it happens every single draft and johnny davis just he just has the feel of that guy to me that will go 11 through 15 and people are like, oh, wait, like, how did he drop? Like, what, what's the story here? That he just, to me, if I were to guess who that guy was going to be, I would guess it's going to be him. Yeah, he's going to will himself into like 15 or 16 points a night, be a really, really solid defender, figure out whatever he needs to do for his team in order to win games. And, you know, fit in Oklahoma City is always going to be different if you believe in Giddy and SGA. Then yep. adding another guard into that mix who knows what the the value is going to be of doing that. But in terms of talent at that position, Davis is is right there. Uh, tell me about Nikola Jovic. I, I haven't watched a ton of him yet, and he is just wild on draft boards. I don't think people really have any idea what to do with him. Yeah, so I don't think you'd find anybody who was higher on Jovic coming into the season than I was. Uh -huh. He was sixth on our big board. Wow really high on him thought that he popped in the U19 world championship games last summer and showed the combination of size at about six ten, 
ball handling ability, shooting, shooting off the bounce, great feel. Like this was the perfect modern front court guy to run an offense through. Not necessarily an isolation scorer, but does so much in terms of shooting and facilitating that, man, I, was I shooting for the stars with the upside there? Um, he can't defend a soul. Hmm. He, he really, really struggled. And it's not just keeping guys in front or, or make, like he fouls a ton, um, which played him out of a lot of games for his team. And he doesn't have a natural spot to guard. He's too unathletic to be a rim protector. He's too slow footed to consistently guard on the perimeter. The way that the game has trended of kind of NBA four men getting smaller and more like small forwards from the past really leaves him without a natural position to guard. So I think of him more in the, I guess the, the right frame would be like a Davis Bertans or a, you know, a, an offensive specialist who, hey, you know what you're going to get from him. He can come in and provide production. But if he's playing 25, 26 minutes a night, that's probably a little too much. And you're giving it back on the other end. So. You've been a big Jaden Hardy advocate. And and still are. Uh, tell us tell us about his game and like what what are people missing about him? I think people are missing how hard it is to be efficient as a three level scorer and the top option on a professional team when you're 18. Like that's Luka Doncic and nobody else has ever done that. Hmm. Um, he played in the G League Ignite against grown men. I mean, the G League is probably the second or third most talented league in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And to be there night after night, being the primary scorer for your team, if you're, if you have to take a ton of shots, it's hard to be efficient as a teenager making that leap, especially making that leap after an uh, inconsistent year of competition, his final year in high school due to COVID. Uh, this, the context of the G league ignite is also important when highlighting the reasons why Hardy struggled from a numerical standpoint, he was surrounded by non-shooters. I mean, if Oklahoma City Thunder fans think that there's no spacing in, in Oklahoma City, they should have seen the Ignite this past year. Yeah. I mean, the other four guys that he played with were all sub-30% from deep. Sub-30. Wow. So when you're a non-elite athlete and you're driving the lane out of the pick and roll and there's four defenders standing in the lane daring you to kick it out, it's really hard to show off some of the craft and the, you know, the skills necessary in order to get to the rim as a non-elite athlete. I think he's an underrated playmaker, but more than anything, a three-level scorer, one of the best shooters in this draft, and just wildly underrated because the context that he is being evaluated from in the G League Ignite was actively horrible for a player of his type. Hmm. So how, how high would you be willing to take him? in this track uh, lottery. Yeah. I'd, I'd take him kind of borderline end of the top 10. I think I have him seven on my big board right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, it's going to be really based on, he needs a rim protector next to him as well. So if, if Oklahoma city gets Chet at two and Hardy's available at 12, like you have my full cosign on this would be a, a great value pick yeah. whether he can come in and just be that Jordan pool type of microwave scorer off the bench or eventually evolve into more as really the, the leading alpha centerpiece of an offense. A uh, couple more questions and then I'll let you go. Uh, AJ Griffin, what are your feelings on him? I've been in and out 
and I'm I'm in now, but give me your take on AJ Griffin. Okay, so I'm about to say a lot of things that are going to make it sound like I can't stand the guy. Yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> he's he's 15th on our board, right? So a okay. lot of the reservations I have are more so talking out of why he shouldn't be an elite prospect. Okay, um, unbelievable shooter, one of the youngest guys, if not the youngest guy in this draft. Yeah. Uh, elite physical frame in terms of just how yoked he is and ready to come into the NBA right away. He can't guard a soul either. Um, Doesn't have a natural position to guard. Injuries have really zapped a lot of his athleticism and quickness over the last couple of years. I saw him play in high school when he was a sophomore. I was recruiting actually one of his high school teammates when I was a college coach. Uh And freak athlete like throwing things down above the rim could get past or through anybody just a a grown man out there when he was 15 years old and to see the version of him that we got last year at duke where he's not separating as much off the dribble pretty disheartening so there is a lot of upside if he can reclaim that athleticism but as we said at the beginning one thing one area to address and overlook cool we can find ways to work around it Two of them, it gets a little bit dicey. The defense and the lack of separation off the bounce, those both worry worry me with Griffin. But because he's such a good shooter, again, that raises the the floor a little bit to the point where I feel comfortable saying he's going to stick around in the NBA and be kind of a borderline lottery guy. So the Thunder have the 30th pick and the 34th pick. Are there any prospects in that range that you're just like, hey, that, that could be a Thunder player? Or that those guys would would thrive specifically with like a great passer like Josh Giddy. Sure. So if Chet Holmgren goes second overall, I think that finding another big man is going to be important. Okay. Similar to constructing a type of team at least early on in Chet's career, mm-hmm. like what Cleveland has done with Evan Mobley. Okay. Uh, you know the Mobley and Jarrett Allen front court has worked defensively, and it saves Mobley from banging around with a bunch of bigger bodies on the earlier parts of his career. I think a veteran is probably the best guy for Oklahoma city to bring in there. But if, if somebody like a Christian Coloco out of Arizona is around at 30th, I think that that would be a really smart pairing for defensive reasons in the front court there. You know, I mentioned Max Christie earlier. I think 12 is a little bit too rich, but if 30 and 34 move you into the early twenties, or if he's still available at 30, I think he would be a fantastic fit just for wing shooting and uh, another couple wing shooters in that range that I happen to like. Um, You know, I think Christian Brown out of Kansas fits the mold of a a really hyper competitive, low volume, but does everything well type of role player. And uh, I was huge on Jeremiah Robinson Earl a year ago. I think that as you get out of that top 20 pick range, that Presti likes to know, okay, this is just a guy who's going to be in the NBA. Right. Let's take a bet on really solid talent here. Uh, I think that Christian Brown kind of fits that to a T. And then another guy that would be really intriguing next to Giddy, uh, again, kind of a, a floor spacer, if you will. I don't know how much I love the guy right now, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. out of Milwaukee. Like it, this is, again, when you have so many picks both now and in the future, your positions to be able to take a swing on somebody and say like, if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. We still have 85 more of these selections in the next five years. Uh, I think that Baldwin's upside just as an elite floor spacer at his size makes him worth some type of investment. You mentioned Christian Coloco. 
he's he's shown up and shot the ball well from deep. What what do we do with that? <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, I'm one of the guys who says nothing, right? Like I, I don't put a ton of stock into workouts because workouts are designed to make guys look good. Yeah. And let's face it, like every NBA player is able to get out there and shoot stationary jump shots and look pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember I grew up a Boston Celtics fan. Okay. And I was 15 years old the first time I ever saw Rajon Rondo work out. Yeah. And like every defense gave him as much room as possible to try to shoot the jumper. And I'm sitting here watching him bang three after three in a private workout. Like, whoa, he can make them. Like, no, it's a little different when the lights come on. <laughs> game reps are, are so different. So I try not to put too much stock in Coloco shooting the ball. If he does, it's it's pretty intriguing, no doubt about it. But I'm not ready to do that uh, sitting here early June. Yeah. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go to theboxin1.substack.com and subscribe. It is well worth uh, subscribing to it's really really fun and it's really unique um, draft analysis that is I feel like you're you're one of the guys that tries to stay out of the group think and I'm trying to like grab as many of, of you guys as possible because I think that we get sucked into this like draft like warp where it's just like everybody thinks the same thing about everybody and like we need to the truth is like NBA teams think different things about these guys mm-hmm. and trying to identify it through only like talking to the same people about the same things and the same concerns. I think it's just, I think it's great what you're doing. Um, and so I really value, you know, the, the type of work that you do. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's a, it's a fun time of year. I, I think that Thunder fans should be abound with optimism about what's coming down the the future pipeline. It might not be here next year. It may take a couple of years, but uh, getting the second overall pick was huge. Yes. And there's still a ton of avenues to add quality depth through picks 12, 30, 34. Yes. You can follow him on Twitter at the box and one underscore Adam. Thanks so much, man. Thank you for having me.